Hello and welcome to the PLUS podcast. Now when you hear the words quantum mechanics, it's likely that you're thinking about some of the weirder and more esoteric elements of the theory. For example, quantum entanglement, which is what Einstein calls spooky action at a distance. But what few people know is that quantum mechanical mechanisms can actually occur in living systems too. Rachel Thomas recently attended the 80th birthday conference for the physicist John Polkinghorne, which was on quantum physics and the nature of reality and took place in Oxford. There she met the physicists Simon Benjamin and Eric Gauger, both from the University of Oxford, who told her that some birds actually use quantum mechanical mechanisms to navigate. And what's more, by studying these little creatures, we might get some better ideas on how to build quantum computers. Rachel started out by asking Simon Benjamin to give us some examples of quantum mechanics as it occurs in living systems. The thing that um, I've been talking about today is um, it's called magnetoreception, which means the capacity that certain animals have to uh, sense uh, magnetic fields, in particular the Earth's magnetic field. So because the Earth's magnetic field is, is basically this big static magnetic field that's out there, you can use it to navigate just like we do with a compass. And Certain birds, um, for example, migratory birds in particular, ones that need to make long journeys where navigation is crucial, have the capacity to sense the Earth's magnetic field along with the usual sensors that we share with them. And incidentally, many other animals do as well. Um, sharks, uh, possibly crocodiles, bees, all manner of animals have, there's evidence that they can sense magnetic fields, which sadly, as far as I'm aware, there's no human who's been able to show the capability to do that, to have a mental compass. Yeah. Um, so there's a particular species of bird called the European robin, which has received a lot of attention from biologists. It um, certainly has the ability to see, in inverted commas, the Earth's magnetic field. It's a migratory bird, and it goes from Scandinavian countries, uh, where it spends um, the uh, summer, to North Africa, where it spends the winter. It goes back and forth on this long trip. And what people do is they essentially kidnap the birds halfway down their journey and they um, test their magnetoreception abilities over the course of the winter and then they release them again uh, when their instincts are telling them to fly back to Scandinavia. So essentially, instead of getting to North Africa, <coughs> they get um, to spend the, uh, the same period of time in Frankfurt. And as I think I mentioned, the researchers claim that it's actually good news for the birds to be kidnapped like this because they have a better survival chance being looked after by the researchers than they would um, running the gauntlet of all the things that might want to eat them in Africa. Um, and so the researchers who capture, kidnap the birds halfway through, um, they're exploring the magnetic, their birds' ability to sense the magnetic field. Do they have an explanation? What is their explanation and is it different from what led you to examine this in a quantum physical kind of way. Okay, well their explanation um, does involve uh, small particles, electrons, which have uh, a property called spin, which you can think of uh, as imagining each electron is in itself like a tiny magnet. And the explanation, which is like the working hypothesis among the biologists, which and this idea has been around for perhaps 30 years, is that a couple of electrons that are correlated with each other, actually pointing in opposite directions, um, get uh, excited when a photon is absor absorbed inside the bird's eye. And these two uh, electron spins then move apart from each other. And the way that they behave after that, 
whether they stay correlated with each other as they were originally or the correlations change, depends on the Earth's magnetic field, actually. It's a, a subtle interplay between the Earth's magnetic field and fields which are present inside the molecular structure itself. So this idea had been out there for a while, and it is quantum mechanical, but perhaps not quantum mechanical enough for guys like me and Eric, who are from uh, this background of quantum computing. So we're trying to build these very exotic new technologies um, that use quantum mechanics in a very, very deep way. So perhaps the, this, this, this existing explanation, which is called the radical pair model, or RP model for short, was not quantum mechanical enough that we would have actually tried to do any work based on it. But then what happened was um, some new research was published just last year by the main research group that actually looks at these birds. And that, was, that kind of intrigued us and made us want to do some of our own calculations. So that research was showing the following. It was showing that um, they know that they can get the birds to um, see in inverted commas, see the Earth's magnetic field, because the birds all, when they're put inside a special chamber, they all want to leave in a certain direction, which is basically the direction that points to North Africa. So then they can say, well, what kind of things would stop the bird from being able to sense it? So, for example, if you were testing vision, human vision, you might turn the light levels down until you found that your human subject wasn't able to find the exit door or something like that, and you would say, aha, you know, humans can see light down to a certain level, but then their vision isn't very good after that. So in the same way, you can find out what, um, at what level or what things will stop a bird from being able to see the magnetic field. And what they found was that if they put on a very weak, now, well, an oscillatory field, so things like uh, microwaves, for example, microwave oven, it produces an oscillatory um, electromagnetic field. Now, you know, uh, that would cook the bird, so <laughs> it wasn't that, of course. But what it was was an incredibly weak oscillatory field. Not only could it not possibly harm the bird, but it would, it would be amazing if it did anything at all, if the bird could even tell that there was this oscillatory field. Certainly, humans move through that kind of oscillatory field all the time, and we don't feel any effect whatsoever. So it's not an oscillation of the magnetic field? It is, actually. Oh, it is an oscillation. That's exactly what it is, okay. yeah. It's so it's, kind of, so it's essentially just shifting the ma magnetic field slightly? It's changing the strength of the magnetic field backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards about a million times a second, which is one megahertz. So, so it's 300 times weaker than the Earth's static magnetic field. Yeah. So, so that's why it wouldn't have any effect. It wouldn't have any effect. I mean, already the Earth's magnetic field is a very weak mm -hmm. field. Mm -hmm. So our compasses, in order to detect it, have to be a really nice, strong magnet. Yeah. Um, but this, this, this mm -hmm. oscillatory component, this little jitter in the magnetic field strength, was tiny by pretty much any standards. Yeah. So they didn't perhaps, I don't know if they really expected to see anything, but they tried this. And they found that at a particular uh, frequency or speed of oscillation, this 1.3 megahertz, uh, actually, at that moment, suddenly the birds were, whilst of course unharmed, they were no longer able to orientate themselves. So the direction that they felt they wanted to go became random and no longer pointed to Africa, essentially. So this, this was intriguing because, you know, why should the bird be sensitive to such a tiny, what we would call perturbation, mm. what a, such a tiny effect? That really intrigued us. So we decided to do a calculation. Eric I could probably mm. tell you a little bit about that. Um, we, we basically built a theoretical model and inserted into it the numbers that were being provided by the experimentalists to see if we could work out any consequences of that which perhaps hadn't already been spotted by people working in the field. And we did work out a consequence of it, basically, um, which, in short, is that 
because the bird is sensitive to this very, very tiny effect, it means that the, the business of probing the magnetic field must actually be quite a slow process inside the bird because there must be time for this tiny effect to build up and make a difference to the bird. A, a strong oscillating uh, field would actually um, influence the physics of what's going on much more quickly. But because it's a very weak one, it would need time. I mean, this is just basic physics that it needs time to actually create any change in the way the electrons are behaving. So, the birds have a tiny little internal compass consisting of two electrons and their spins, and it's the way in which these spins correlate in response to the Earth's magnetic field that tells the birds where to go. Now, the experimental results showed that it's actually very easy to jam that system using a very weak oscillatory electromagnetic field. And because the field is so weak, it takes the birds some time to detect it. Now, Benjamin and Gauger built a mathematical model of this process to figure out just how long it would take the bird, and they found out that it would take it at least 120 microseconds to detect that very weak field. Now, that's very fast, certainly it's too fast for us humans to perceive, but in terms of quantum processes, it's actually quite slow. And this is what brought Benjamin and Gauger back to what they were really interested in, and that's quantum computers. As the name suggests, quantum computers work by using quantum processes. And although no one has as yet been able to build a useful working quantum computer, once we're able to do it, these machines will be way faster and more powerful than ordinary computers. Simon Benjamin again. These electron spins are things that we've been thinking about and many other people have been thinking about as the basic components of a quantum computer, which is this very exotic technology that we'd really like to build. It's very, very difficult. And in that field of research as well, you uh, care about which direction the electron spins point and how they relate to each other. Um, ultimately, we'd like to build much more complicated things than just two electrons, but actually that is the sort of stage that most people are at mm -hmm. at the moment. And in order to make a quantum computer work, you must insulate these electron spins, these tiny magnets, from the rest of the world. I don't know if you've heard of Schrodinger's cat, which is a thought experiment about a cat being both dead and alive inside a box. And in that story, it's crucial that the box is perfect and can't allow any information to leak in and out. And it's similar in a quantum computer. The electron spins that we might like to use must be perfectly isolated from the rest of the world, or as perfectly as we can manage it. And so for that reason, people all around the world, but um, for example, our colleague John Morton in, here in Oxford and uh, his, his experimentalist that he um, leads uh, have been trying to come up with molecules that have the property that an electron spin can be protected from the rest of the world and allowed to um, not be influenced by the rest of the world, you see. So this is important. That's why, you know, that's, that's, that's the reason that we would care about it. Now, It turns out that once we'd discovered this mystery parameter, this mystery number in how the bird's um, navigation sense works, that allowed us to ask the question, how well does the bird protect its own compass from the kind of noise and craziness of, of like an, a, a warm environment like the inside of a biological system? And it turns out that it protects it amazingly well. Because the process of sensing the field takes so long, it's, And we've discovered, you know, that it's so. The people have discovered that it's so sensitive to this tiny perturbation. That also means that other kinds of troubling effect, other kinds of noise, must be kept down to a very low level. Otherwise, it would mess up such a long-lasting, you know, sensing process. And in fact, 
it seems that the way the bird protects this two-spin uh, system, this, 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 as it were, pair of two tiny magnets, is actually better than the best we can do when we try to protect uh, electron spins, when we're playing around with saying, what would be the right you know, kind of technology, what would be the right component for building a quantum computer? So that's what really did surprise us, is that when we concluded that actually the, 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 pro, the bird must be able to protect the state of these two magnets for um, something like, again, 100 microseconds, then uh, when we compare that to what's the best we've been able to do in the lab with completely artificial systems, that's 80 microseconds. And all of these estimates for the bird are actually quite conservative. It may be longer than that. We were always saying, you know, what's the least it could be? So that really was quite surprising, and we're a bit bewildered by that. We can't see how the bird could have evolved to do better than we're doing in the laboratory because we're using some quite exotic, very hard-to-obtain chemicals, something called nitrogen in uh, C60, which there's no way that the bird has got access to that. Um, it's very, very difficult to make. Incidentally, that chemical uh, is an enormous effort for people to make, and the guy that we work with called Koriakos Parfarakis, who makes that, um, estimates that it, the effective value of it is about seven million pounds per gram. Um, we never make as much as a gram. We make tiny quantities of it. It's extremely exotic material. And even with that very exotic thing, 80 microseconds is, the, is how long you can protect the electron spin for before it eventually gets messed up by little effects from outside the molecule. And yet the bird seems to be doing at least 100 microseconds. And so we'd love to know, if, is that right? And it seems to be right based on our calculations and the experimental work. And if it is, why is the bird, you know, why has it evolved to protect its, its, the state of these tiny magnets so well? And um, how is it doing it? So do you think in the long run it might actually have some implications? Is there something we can learn from the bird then about how we could preserve quantum information for longer periods of time in the lab? Well, it's a series of ifs. I mean, if this is right, so various things could be wrong. The experimental data could be wrong. Or our basic idea of these, it's, you know, involves these two electrons, these two different magnets, um, that might be wrong. Um, although it's that, that idea has been around for 30 years and is the definitive one. Um, but if all the ingredients are correct and there really is this extraordinary protection of uh, quantum information, or as we would call it, inside uh, the bird's compass mechanism, then it's conceivable that if we can actually work out, if the community can actually work out what chemical it is, what molecular structure it is, we might learn a thing or two about how to insulate molecular structures, because certainly, you know, we don't know how to get to the, that kind of performance. Um, the only other thing I just wanted to mention, I thought it was interesting at the beginning of the talk, you talked about there were other animals that That's have right. systems mm -hmm. to um, detect um, uh, the magnetic field. And yeah, so essentially many animals, and in fact even um, some uh, plants and even some fungus have the capability in to, to sense magnetic fields, it seems, in the sense that if you change the magnetic field, that changes the way the organism behaves. Um, so it seems that nature has invented the, the ability to sense magnetic fields several different times in completely different ways. So some birds, for example, pigeons, have a tiny amount of uh, magnetite, which is a magnetic mineral that can be biologically manufactured, inside their beaks. And the region, although it's not quite understood how it all works, the region in their beaks where this magnetite, this little you know, lump of effectively metal, if you like, um, sits, is heavily uh, innovated, which means it's got loads of nerves going down to it. So you can see there's something important going on there. 
And that seems to be a much more, you know, a charming but much less uh, complex explanation for how it works. I mean, you, you're tempted to say, well, basically, it's got a little compass in its beak uh, that tells it which way it wants to point. Um, so that's birds. Then sharks, and again, I, I, I'm not really qualified to talk about this, but sharks, I gather, and other certain other fish have the capability to sense magnetic fields. And that happens by yet another process. It's something like having a little conducting tubes filaments heading down from their skin into their body a certain distance. And as those filaments move through a magnetic field, that because of uh, Faraday's, Faraday's law, that makes uh, a potential difference between the ends. And again, the, 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 these animals can sense that. And then there are more controversial ones, like um, can cows detect the Earth's magnetic field? Um, I think uh, I would take that with a pinch of salt. But it seems that uh, some researchers looked at many, 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 many pictures of fields of cows from the satellite view using Google Maps and other satellite survey tools and found that uh, you know, a, a surprisingly large number of instances the cows were actually pointing north or something like that. So there you go. Cows might be a lot more sensitive than we usually give them credit for. Now that's the end of this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about what Rachel got up to at the Quantum Physics and the Nature of Reality conference in Oxford, you can listen to her podcast, Does Quantum Physics Really Describe Reality?, which you can find at plus.maths.org under podcasts. My name is Marianne Freiberger. Thanks for listening and bye-bye.